Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. That's right, Henry the 13th. He is, or presumably was, he might be stripped of his princeling title, if that's possible, under German law. But he was, apparently, according to the German state, and 4,000 police officers with weapons acted on this this very day. He was planning to overthrow democracy in Germany, to overthrow the German Republic, to reinstate the First World War monarchy with him as the king, the Kaiser, as we used to know. Kaiser Henry, what could possibly go wrong? Comic opera, of course, it all sounds a bit like the Beer Hall Putsch in Munich in 1923, November, to be precise. November 1923, Adolf Hitler staged a similar kind of armed coup to overthrow the Weimar Republic. None of us know what happened next, of course. Now, the turmoil in the Weimar Republic, which led ultimately to the triumph of Hitler fascism, of the Nazi beast which went on to cause the deaths of almost 100 million people in the 1930s and 1940s, ending just nine years before I was born, so not exactly ancient history, was the economic collapse of Germany. A collapse engineered by the idiot policies of Western countries towards Germany, which pushed them over the precipice into economic catastrophe through the Treaty of Versailles and the punitive policy of reparations, of forcing Germany to destroy its own economy in order to please the Western powers. You see where I'm going here? The only reason there is any scintilla of possibility of a successful military coup in Germany is because the German economy is presently being destroyed at the behest of the same idiot Western leaders in France, in Britain, and in the United States of America as caused the rise of Hitler in the first place. Germany's industry is being systematically destroyed where it is not being dismantled and shipped, amongst other places, to the United States of America. The German Nord Stream 2 pipeline was blown up by American weapons coordinated by British Special Boat Service 
engineers, frogmen, and targeters. Britain and the United States destroyed a vital multi-billion euro piece of German economic infrastructure. Now having forced Germany not to accept any of the more than 50% of its energy that it was getting from Russia, the Americans now invite them to send their industries to the US where energy is cheaper and more reliable. I'm not making that up. That's the American pitch to Germany. We've destroyed your energy infrastructure. Move your factories here and even your skilled workforce here. We'll fast track green cards for your engineers, for your semiconductor experts, for all the individuals who made Germany great, rich and powerful. We will offer you a new home in the land of, if not free energy, then dirt cheap energy compared to what you'll have to pay at home. These economic self-harms that the German government of little soldier Schultz, a, a, a fragile, flaky Weimar Republic leader, if I ever saw one, are of course leading to societal pressures inside Germany that are feeding the frenzy of incohate rage and frustration at the situation Germany finds itself in. Having been the economic powerhouse and the financial bank of the European Union, it sees itself literally coming apart at the seams as a result of the NATO proxy war in the Ukraine. And of course, just like in Hitler's time, there are a ready-made mass of potential scapegoats that those who wish to destroy democracy in Germany can make use of. In this case, the millions of migrants and refugees that the foolish policies of the predecessor Chancellor Angela Merkel have visited upon Germany, hoping to make use of the low labor cost of the cheapest of cheap labor to help fuel the German economic revolution. Now all these migrants and refugees are just sitting there waiting to be scapegoated by the kind of proto-fascists whom I presume were to be the fodder of Heinrich XIII's attempt to overthrow the German Republic unmasked today. A princely thorn in the flesh of the commentariat of the literati of the glittering, bright, shining liars of the liberal classes in the United States is what Elon Musk has certainly turned out to be. His leak to Matt Taibbi, the respected journalist in the United States, a man of unimpeachable journalistic integrity, unlike the hyenas that are now ferociously descending upon him, actually doxing him, 
practically inviting physical harm upon him and his family. For what? For reporting what the man buns and the man bag, skinny jeans and sneaker brigade in San Francisco were doing with the public square. They were ensuring that those gathered in the public square in unprecedented numbers. This is my, my legal case, my statement of claim against Twitter, just agreed and about to be served on the courts in Dublin in counting up the offence against me by Twitter of false labelling, shadow banning, and all the other censorship that was taken against me on an entirely bogus, absolutely false prospectus. I discovered that I have been defamed by Twitter more than 100 million times. How's that for the circulation of a libel? Almost unprecedented. I hope the judge thinks so. I really do. And Mr. Musk, the window for mediation uh, with me is rapidly closing. But my point is, this is a public square of unprecedented magnitude. But they were carefully controlling who could speak in it, to whom you could listen in it. And they were doing so at the behest of, and in some cases, under the instruction of the security state apparatus of the United States of America. And in place as the deputy legal general counsel of the company was a man called Jim Baker, formerly the head legal counsel of the FBI. How's that for symmetry? The FBI's chief lawyer was Twitter's deputy chief lawyer. Lee Fang released transcripts today of instructions being given by the FBI in San Francisco to Twitter instructions that were complied with to the absolute degree. The Secretary General of the state of Arizona was giving in writing orders to Twitter with which they were complying to ban this person, censor that one, expunge that story and pretend that none of the things we now know to have been on Hunter Biden's laptop were anything other than Russian disinformation. This is more than a scandal. This is a conspiracy against the Constitution of the United States of America. This is not a few mad hats on January 6th with their bongo drums and their eagle feathers and their idiot, patriot, proud boy, paraphernalia. No, this is a conspiracy at the highest level of the American security apparatus to give orders to a media company in breach of the First Amendment 
of the American Constitution. How's that for interference in American democracy? How's that for interference in American elections? This is not Russiagate and the Steele dossier where young women were alleged to have been wetting themselves with excitement in a Moscow hotel room at the prospect of meeting Donald Trump. No, this is a provable, incontrovertible paper chain which demonstrates that conspiracy and arrests will surely follow. I could name two right now that ought to be under arrest. I just have without their names. The revealing of this malfeasance, of this absolute threat to freedom of speech and expression on the internet is met by the liberals not with outrage, but with outrage at the people who revealed it. You really couldn't make up this Orwellian state of affairs in which we now live. Well, the conservatives are the ones demanding free speech and the so-called liberals and progressives are actually in charge of strangling free speech to death. No wonder they were so quiet about the Julian Assange case because it now transpires that long ago, at least a decade ago, these liberals went on a long march from their previous visceral hostility to the American deep state and its security apparatus to being mouthpieces for that very apparatus, apologists for the worst tyranny and dictatorship. No wonder they could not bring themselves until belatedly and half-heartedly to preach against the impending extradition of the world historic journalist, publisher, and truth-teller Julian Assange. Everything is now becoming clear thanks to the courage of a billionaire who is routinely rubbished by liberals for all of his many faults. How ironic that it is Elon Musk who is revealing the truth and his critics desperate to conceal it to the point that the aforementioned Jim Baker actually erased, wiped much of the incriminating material from the Twitter files. God knows what was on what he expunged because what he failed to expunge is bad enough. And in any case, bad news, Mr. Baker. Mr. Musk has employed people that can recover everything that you expunged. Let it all out into the open, Mr. Musk. Tell us all. Tell us who did what, to whom, and why they did it. And while you're at it, stop shadow banning and 
blocking the likes of Garland Nixon and my young guest, my brilliant young guest Jackson Hinkle this evening. Leave Garland Nixon alone. Reinstate Scott Ritter. Unshadow ban Jackson Hinkle. Take that lying label off my Twitter account. Why not? It's as well to be hung for a sheep than a lamb, isn't it? If you're going to go out, as you have darkly predicted, you may, might as well go out in a blaze of glory and be remembered forever. And in the last couple of minutes available to me, in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even in the first decade of the 21st century, the news that American weapons were landing on Russian air bases 400 miles inside Russia on air bases that house Russian nuclear bombs would be a story almost beyond comprehension. There would be nothing else on the news except that. But that happened yesterday. And most people don't even know that it happened. You know that Moscow is closer to the Ukrainian border than the air bases struck by American weapons, presumably fired by Ukrainians or even foreign mercenaries in their hire. That means those missiles could have landed on Moscow. That means those missiles, American missiles, could have landed on the Kremlin. Are you people determined to create a nuclear holocaust on Earth? Or are you just so recklessly stupid that you imagine that the Russians will continue to thaw these provocations. Do you imagine that Putin is the worst that could be in the Kremlin? Don't you know that Putin is under intense pressure in Moscow to finish this war in Ukraine? Not by ending it, but really finishing it. No more negotiations. No more velvet gloves. No more carefully targeting. The pressure on Putin to respond to this most gigantic of provocations of American missiles landing in Russian air bases 400 miles deep into their national territory is clearly being underestimated by you or you want a nuclear war. And if you want a nuclear war, the German people, the French people, the British people, and yes, the American people, have got to ask themselves, are your leaders acting in your interests or are they acting in the interests of others? Do you want to risk the end of the world for a country you couldn't place on the map?
for cities you could not spell and certainly could not pronounce. Because if the answer to that is no, then you better get a hold of your leaders pretty damn quickly because your leaders are leading you directly into that good night. I told you, it's going to be a bumpy night, so fasten your seatbelts. This is the mother of all talk shows. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 1.3 million people watched all or part of the mother of all talk shows in the last seven days, in the last week. Just think about that. With no advertising budget, no promotion budget, and absolutely zero Mention in any mainstream media outlet. 1.3 million people in the last week. And this show is being brought to you and would not otherwise be on the air by my good friend Ravi at Critical Cosmetics. He's responsible for my wondrous complexion. And indeed, the wonderful foodstuffs, so good you can put them on your face or eat them in Critical Cosmetics' new packages that can now be delivered free virtually everywhere, certainly in North America and on the European continent. So please do visit their website. Without them, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. We have one of our most distinguished guests coming up right now. He is a former head of criminal law at the Pentagon a former Virginia senator, a real live colonel. He is, of course, Senator Colonel Richard Black, and he joins us now for the first time, Senator, on the mother of all talk shows, though I have followed your work for a very considerable time. Let me, uh, in welcoming you, ask for your opinion on the escalation implied in the attacks on the Russian air bases, 400 miles inside Russian territory. For me, this is a terrifying turn of events. How does it look to you? Well, what it shows is that uh, the, the West, NATO, the United States, the UK, understand that Ukraine has lost the war. They will not win the war. There's absolutely no chance that, of them winning. And what has happened 
is that the West has become in, incredibly, almost insanely reckless in provoking uh, a nuclear war. Uh, we've done it in the past. We, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we sabotaged the Nord Stream one and two pipelines. They don't belong to us. They belong to Germany and to and to Russia. But we sabotaged them to cut off the gas. Uh, we helped to sink the flagship of the Russian fleet, the cruiser Moskva. We sent to the bottom 300 young Russian sailors. Um, the, 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 the recklessness is, is so extreme. And you think of what started the First World War, where there was an assassination of uh, the Archduke and his wife, and that resulted first in 18 million people being killed in the First World War, quickly followed by 50 million more in the Second World War, all starting from two people. And yet you look at the things we're doing. Now we're flying drones. And I say we, we the United States has disavowed any involvement. But, uh, you know, at this point, it's a little hard to believe that uh, that Ukraine does anything without preclearance from the United States. And uh, so we are literally attacking centers of nuclear power in Russia. And I'm, I'm sure that there are at least some elements <clears throat> that do it with the intention of triggering a spark, setting off a spark that will ignite the nuclear holocaust and probably kill 60% uh, of the world's population and most all of the people in the West. It is the age-old question, uh, Senator Colonel, uh, are they fools or are they knaves? Is it uh, reckless stupidity or is it uh, a, a predetermined and carefully calibrated plan? Do they want a war or are they just recklessly stupid about creating the conditions for an all-out war between NATO and Russia? I think what you see is a struggle between factions of the deep state. Uh, there are there are those who feel that uh, that it would be madness to trigger a nuclear war with Russia, and there are factions that are willing to to gamble all of humanity on a chance to dominate Russia, to break it to apart, to seize its natural resources, which are vast and incalculable in size. Um, so it's not as though there is sort of a monolithic force that is bringing these things together. It's that there is a struggle internally and that there are people on the ground, there are Americans on the ground right now who are advising Zelensky and uh, and they, in many cases, are allowing the most wildly reckless things to occur. Often, they they are literally the the planners of these things. Uh, it's very very dangerous what's going on right now. Now, uh, most of us here, I hope you don't find it offensive. Most of us here have difficulty in believing that Joe Biden is in charge, but uh, of course. 
he is responsible as the commander-in-chief. You were an insider uh, at the Pentagon. Would he have had placed on his desk a proposal to fire missiles 400 miles into air bases which contain nuclear weapons inside Russia? Would that be the level of decision? Would he be the level uh, at which a decision like that would be made? I, I can't say for sure. I do know that when we, we aided in the assassination of 13 Russian generals and the sinking of the flagship, that uh, President Biden became furious that the fact that we had done it was leaked in the press. He should have been angered that it happened, that it was done that something so wildly reckless occurred, but he obviously was not. His concern was that this had hit the press. Um, it has to occur to me that perhaps he knew in advance that these things were being done. So I cannot tell you specifically whether he knows about the flight of the drones. I'm gonna tell you, if I were the president and someone uh, sent drones to attack a nuclear war site in Russia, which is one of the two great nuclear superpowers. If they did that without my permission as president, I'd have them locked up the same day. I mean, literally, I would throw them in prison and then figure out the charges afterwards because they would have risked the future of all Western civilization by doing this. And so I can't tell you that he knew, but he certainly should have been informed. Neither of us knows the uh, mindset uh, of uh, the Kremlin, uh, but I have many sources, as no doubt do you. Uh, and my sources tell me there is mounting anger uh, around Putin, Never mind outside on the streets, but outside on the streets, mounting anger at the way in which this war is dragging on and that such provocations as the attack on the nuclear bases in Russia or for that matter, the now daily massacre of civilians in Donetsk, Ukrainian civilians massacred by Ukrainians, and there's a growing push on Putin to take the gloves off and finish this war. Do you think that that is logical? And if so, whether Putin is likely to respond to it? I, I think it is happening. Uh, people in the West misunderstand the mindset of the Russian people. And they, they sort of interpret this to mean that somehow... Uh, the Russians are, are losing their incentive to pursue the war. Not at all. Uh, the Russian people are frustrated that initially Russia went in with velvet gloves, trying to minimize casualties, trying to maintain good relations with the people of Ukraine. And, and they went in uh, with an extraordinarily small military force. Uh, it, 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 was, it was not a practical force for what they were about to undertake. To their credit, I, I think 
the the Russian high command did not realize that they were going to encounter the kind of resistance that they did. But here's where we are right now. Um, Ukraine has, of course, you read that you read what the mainstream media tells you about the war, and you would think that Ukraine is uh, is doing doing quite well. The fact is, just the other day, uh, the European Commission president uh, uh, Ursula von der, von der Leyen said in a video uh, that was uh, published on Twitter that. More than 100,000 Ukrainian military people, soldiers, have been killed in the nine months. Now, to me, I'm able to relate this because I fought in Vietnam, which was our last really bloody war that the United States fought. Uh, we had uh, 58,000 people who were killed over a 10-year period. It was a 10-year war. Uh, it works out to where we had... 485 people killed each month on average. That's the United States in Vietnam, 485. At Bakhmut, where there's an enormous battle being waged between Ukraine and Russia right now, right at this very moment as we speak, in Bakhmut, they, Ukraine is losing between 500 and 700 soldiers in a day, okay? So they are losing in one day what the United States lost in a month in Vietnam. Now, so so, so right, right away you've got 30 times as many dying, and then you have to realize that Ukraine has a much smaller population than the United States had back in those days. The U.S. had about 200 million uh, during the during the Vietnam War, and Ukraine has about 37 million, uh, at, and that's a high estimate because <clears throat> there have been about seven million who have fled the country to avoid the war. So they have a very depleted population uh, and enormous, just astounding numbers of Ukrainians have been thrown into the front lines ground to, to hamburger meat by Russian artillery. <clears throat> it is true that they have managed to eke out some, some uh, victories. They, they drove Russia out of Kharkiv, where Russia was clearly overextended, and, and they had light forces there. Uh, and then they, they claimed that they also drove Russia out of out of Kherson in the south, down towards the Black Sea. But the fact is, they didn't really drive the Russians from Kherson. Uh, the Russians were dangerously overextended across the deeper river, and they did a very uh, professionally executed strategic withdrawal to avoid being overextended. Um, right now, uh, and this has been very credibly reported in the Washington Post of all places, the uh, the Ukrainians have sort of, they've managed to get all the low-hanging fruit. Uh, and at this point, uh, the Russians are behind uh, very, very icy rivers, and they have, they have built 
uh, three lines of defense. They've they've put in vast lot, uh, minefields. And at this point, uh, these are just slaughtering grounds for the troops that uh, Zelensky is ordering into battle. Now, he doesn't give a hoot what happens to these people. He's been ordered to keep this war going. The war is, is feeding the war profiteers, the arms manufacturers, and uh, it's helping to keep uh, the West, to keep the United States with a lock on the energy markets. Uh, there's a lot of money being made. Uh, and, uh, and his job, Zelensky's job, is to keep the war going uh, and just to fight to the last living Ukrainian and he's doing a pretty good job of wiping out the, the troops in Ukraine. I thought originally, uh, Colonel, that the, uh, the Dnipro would, would be the defining, dividing line between an eastern Ukraine absorbed by Russia and a western Ukraine absorbed by NATO, the EU, and so on. But I no longer can see how... Russia could tolerate the existence of what would then become a NATO armed camp west of the Dnipro. Uh, and that short of a profound regime change in Kiev, Russia now has no incentive itself to end the war. And Putin said yesterday, we're done with negotiating with Ukraine. Uh, and it strikes me that I don't want to be Shakespearean about it, but they are already steeped in blood. So that whether it's bloodier to go on or go on is, is a moot point that Russia would be as well continuing until there is no NATO, EU, Western Ukraine. There is only a Ukraine that is uh, neutral and provably neutral. You know, I, I spoke before the uh, the AFD party and the Bundestag. They invited me over uh, to Berlin, and I, I spoke to the the members of the party. Very very impressive people, and uh, and I told them this was back in June, and I told them that this was the time for Ukraine to negotiate because uh, they were at the height of their of their power and their negotiating position. And I said, look, at this point, if they negotiated, they probably could uh, manage to get all of Kiev uh, under their control, including the part that's east of the Dnieper River. They probably could get Russia to guarantee that, uh, uh, that they would uh, get the port in Odessa, which is absolutely vital to them. And uh, and I think that is accurate. Now, today, you raise some possibilities. And, and uh, the, you have to remember, Russia did not mobilize before they crossed the border. Uh, they, they were forced into going into Ukraine because of this huge buildup of Ukrainian armed forces around the Donbass. Now, the Donbass, those are Russian-speaking people. They're ethnic Russians. And they're about to be attacked by this massive Ukrainian army armed and trained by the West. And so Russia was forced to go in. 
And it, it's unbelievable. Russia had never mobilized. And here you had Europe being told, oh, they're they're going to take over the world. There's the Russians are going to are going to, you know, invade everybody. They're, they're going to be in your on your doorstep tomorrow. Well, there's rubbish. There was nothing to it. Uh, the the Russians were unprepared for a war. They they had done everything in their power to avoid a conflict. But now, what they have done is they have mobilized. Uh, when they started the mobilization, they had ninety thousand troops on the front lines. Now they have two hundred thousand on the front lines. Within a couple of months, they're going to have four hundred thousand on the front line, and these are conservative because they're not stopping the mobilization with just that. They're continuing. And uh, so what is happening is President Putin has a massive force, and it's also backed up by huge amounts of armor. And this is not the armor they used at the beginning, the, the old stuff. This is the new stuff. It's the best, the best uh, and the best of the aircraft. And they're also expanding the number of drones and so forth. So they have an immense force. And at this point, the Ukrainians are just ground down. They're, they're stuck out there in the cold, in the ice. Uh, they can't evacuate their casualties. They can't bring in ammunition. Uh, the, the drone attack that's being waged by Russia against Ukraine is very precise, very targeted, and it's knocking out the electrical grid, which also shuts down the water supply. And importantly, you have to realize that the that the railways in Ukraine operate on electricity. The, the locomotives are electrically driven. And so when you shut down the uh, the electrical grid, you shut down the ability to move arms and equipment and troops by rail. Uh, so it, it has put Ukraine in a very vulnerable position. And for Russia, if you recognize that two months after the war began, back in April, Zelensky had sent a five-page peace proposal to President Putin and asked to make peace. The Russians had sat down and they had uh, they had reached preliminary agreements. And the chief Ukrainian negotiator told the, the Ukrainian people, he said, we have agreed on almost everything except Ukraine, which was kind of a red herring that was thrown in there as a, as a bargaining chip. And nobody expects that Ukraine will ever go back to, to uh, or, or that Crimea, I'm sorry, that Crimea would go back to Ukraine. So in any, in, a, in any event, Russia and Ukraine had reached a preliminary agreement. And uh, that's when uh, Prime Minister Boris Yeltsin flew into Kiev unannounced and basically ordered Zelensky to knock off this business of peace negotiations, get back to war, we put a huge amount of money into arms and supplies, and we expect a return on our dollar. And uh, and so at that point, there were very few casualties. The war could have ended on a mutually acceptable basis for Ukraine and Russia, but uh, the 
The UK blocked it, and they would never have done that without the explicit approval uh, from the White House. There's no way that they would have done it independently since we have most of the forces involved. So, so now all of these poor Ukrainian kids have gone out and been slaughtered massively. Lots of Russians have also lost their lives, not nearly as many as Ukrainians, but still lots and lots of Russians have died. The Russians, I think the Russian people are past the point where they're going to accept uh, some sort of minimal accomplishment on the battlefield. Um, I could only speculate where this will go. I feel confident that uh, at least part of Kiev will fall under the Russians, the part that's uh, on on the Russian side of the Dnieper, on, on, towards Russia. Uh, I suspect that Russia will want to go forward and capture the port at Odessa, which will make Ukraine a landlocked country, completely dependent on Russia for the ex export of its, uh, its wheat and its other products. And uh, at that point, I think you'll see that Ukraine will no longer be able to be this bellicose uh, mouse that roared. Uh, it's it's not going to be able to do that in the future. And I think at this point, Russia, it, it has negotiated in good faith. It helped the negotiations back during Minsk when the Germans and, and the French could see this coming back in 2014. Uh, Russia helped with the uh, to encourage the negotiations that ended the war supposedly in 2014, but it never took hold. Ukraine never carried out its obligations under Minsk. And then uh, again, uh, in April of this year, we blew up the, the peace talks. I don't think Russia is going to fall for this again. I think they're going to win the war on the battlefield. And I would just say to Ukrainians, watch out, because if you think things have been bad so far, you're going to see something that is way beyond anything you conceived of before. Senator Colonel Richard Black, former head legal counsel at the Pentagon, thank you for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Here's the poll for the evening. Should Joe Biden pardon Julian Assange? Reaching the witching hour now on the Assange case. Uh, yes, 93% on Twitter, 7% no. On YouTube, 93%, 7% no. And on Telegram, 99% yes, 1% no. Thousands of people have voted. Make sure you get your vote in before the end of the show. Some dark news I must bring you. Uh, according to the BBC, Peru's President Pedro Castillo has tried to dissolve Congress and is now reported to be at a police station. It's not known, say the BBC, if he has been arrested. But it looks pretty likely that he is president of Peru no more. Peru's president, Pedro Castillo, is in a police station in Lima, 
It's not known if that is for his own protection or if he is under arrest. Now, Jackson Hinker is a rising and brilliant young star of American television and radio. And their problem with him is he's an all-American boy, but with very radical views about what America should be in the world, what America's priorities should be for Americans at home. And he doesn't just speak the truth. Lots of people speak the truth. But he speaks it with eloquence, with an effervescence, with a clarity that his enemies can't bear him. And they've had him banned from Twitter. But he's not called the comeback kid for nothing. He's back on Twitter and he's back on the mother of all talk shows. It is the host of The Dive, Jackson Hinkle. Thanks for joining us again, Jackson. First of all, let's uh, spend a moment or two on, on what happened. Why did they ban you from Twitter? And why does Elon Musk keep doing these things? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure being on your show. Um, you know, I was very surprised. Elon Musk claims to be a free speech absolutist, and that's kind of why he bought Twitter. And as a free speech absolutist myself, I was very happy to see that he purchased Twitter with that, um, you know, that dream in mind. Unfortunately, his actions have not lived up to his word, despite the fact that he has done some very good things. I have loved to watch the uh, Hunter Biden files come out with Matt Taibbi. That's been amazing. We've seen a lot of people unbanned from Twitter, but it seems as though there's been simultaneously a lot of anti-war voices, particularly voices that call out the lunacy, the hypocrisy surrounding what's going on in Ukraine, who have been banned. Not just me, but Scott Ritter, uh, Garland Nixon, you still have a ludicrous title on your Twitter account, as we all know. Uh, and, and the question is, you know, why would you buy Twitter for $44 billion if you are going to suppress the same voices that challenge the official narratives that have ended up us all in the crises that we're currently facing between the economic crisis in the West, the energy crisis in Europe, the you know war crisis we're seeing unfold in Ukraine and soon to be in China. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I was reinstated. My account was reinstated after being banned for 24 hours. But George, if you can believe this, I woke up this morning and my Twitter account is again suspended for another seven days. So, First, I got a permanent suspension. I'm back for 24 hours after that. I wake up this morning. I have another suspension for quote unquote hate speech, which we all know is just, uh, you know, it's a loophole that these censors use to silence dissident voices who call out their lies. I'm just wondering if uh, Musk knows these kind of things. He's a busy guy. He's got a lot of uh, things on his plate. And he is, of course, uh, distracted somewhat on the Twitter files, which we'll come to. Uh, but I'm wondering if it, these are the last holdouts, you know, like these Japanese soldiers that held out for decades on the Pacific Islands, refusing to accept that the war was over. I'm wondering if some of the man buns with their man bags are still holding out in the Twitter hierarchy and it's them that is uh, carrying out these rearguard actions. Well, you're right about the fact that Elon Musk is a busy man. I mean, he's got five different companies, nine kids, and he's doing more journalism than any journalist in America right now with 
the Hunter Biden files. I mean, it's, again, been just incredible to see what's going on. But uh, I do wonder, you know, Elon Musk is a man who's funding Starlink in Ukraine. He's talked about funding Starlink in Iran to help the color revolution in Iran. He's got loads of very, very generous Pentagon contracts that, uh, you know, he, he's amassed over the years. And one of the first things he did when he bought Twitter was go and do like a, a parade at the Pentagon itself and give a, you know, give himself a big pat on the back for helping the Pentagon identify all of these previously anonymous users on Twitter that are soon to be, you know, no longer anonymous. Whether you like it or not, that's what's going to happen. And the U.S. intelligence community is definitely going to benefit from that so i worry um but who really knows i mean do i do i think that elon knows what's going on with my twitter account probably not i mean maybe the first suspension he did and that's why i was reinstated but again the question isn't really whether or not jackson will get reinstated whether or not garland or scott will get reinstated it's a broader question of free speech and if you as a chief of twitter are not willing to bring and allow for the most vile voices on the internet or at least what you interpret to be the most vile voices on the internet on your platform so long as they're not inciting violence uh committing libel slander fraud or anything that's illegal per free speech laws in the united states then you are not a free speech absolutist and you know it's it's crazy to think about this for some maybe but that would even mean allowing for people like kanye west to remain on the platform in spite of what he said in, over recent days i mean you know i i i'm a i'm a stalinist i'm no way shape or form sympathetic to nazis especially especially hitler um so i condemn what kanye west said but if you're going to allow for the Azov Battalion, the Nazi Azov Battalion from Ukraine to remain on the Twitter platform, why are you taking down Kanye West? I mean, it's just complete hypocrisy. Yeah, maybe West didn't get the memo that we're only allowed to support Nazis in Ukraine, uh, not any other Nazis, at least for now. Uh, the, uh, the likelihood of Musk getting any more Pentagon contracts must be uh, limited, however, because uh, lo and behold, no sooner had he released the Twitter files, uh, he, he, one of his companies is now under investigation for cruelty to animals, uh, it would appear. Uh, he has now brought down on his head, and by extension, Matt Tybee uh, as well, they brought down on their heads the whole might and wrath of uh, the liberal establishment in the U.S. What could possibly go wrong? How's that going to end? Well, you know, I think that most Americans still support the idea of free speech. Obviously, you have all these massive NGOs that are funded by, you know, these outside uh, resources like the Open Societies Foundation, for example, who've been trying to indoctrinate Americans with this cancerous liberal, liberal ideology that free speech is bad. I, it's just completely antithetical to what we're supposed to stand for as Americans uh, and as freedom-loving people, not just Americans. So I, I don't know how it's going to unfold. I think most people are obviously supportive of what Elon and Matt uh, and others are trying to do right now in exposing the truth. And I think that will take them far. 
But uh, you're not wrong to point out that the you know mechanisms of power are going to be uh, wielded against Elon Musk for trying to expose what's going on with the Biden family, the corruption between Biden and Ukraine, Biden and liberal forces in China, uh, Hunter Biden and Metabiota biological research facilities in Ukraine and Eastern Europe. You know, all this stuff is very, very damning for the Biden family. And I think, um, well, if Elon Musk takes Jack Dorsey's advice, former CEO of Twitter, uh, to release all of the Hunter Biden files uncensored, I can't imagine that the elite are going to be happy about that. Don't you think that we've now at least begun to see the tip of some crimes here? I mentioned in my introduction that at least... What I've seen, and I haven't by any means read at all, there's two pieces of written evidence of government officials giving orders to a media company, Twitter, and Twitter complying with those orders. One from the state of Arizona, uh, about which I'm sure much more later, uh, the state of Arizona, I mean, seems to be the epicenter of a lot of dark things that have happened. Uh, and the other from the FBI uh, in San Francisco. We've got clear uh, paper chain uh, that you can see the state organs giving orders, the media company complying and cooperating. That's a clear breach of the U.S. Constitution, isn't it? And thus a crime. In a country that is giving Ghislaine Maxwell, the co-conspirator of Jeffrey Epstein, probably less than 20 years in prison, it's probably going to be a nice prison that she's put in for facilitating the largest international child sex trafficking ring of all time. Uh, She gets 20 years, whereas Julian Assange is being prosecuted for 175 years for crimes he didn't commit as a non-U.S. citizen. I don't have a lot of hope in the U.S. judicial system, uh, or at least in the people that are currently operating it. And, you know, it's again, I I think that those people in these positions have been indoctrinated to believe, quite honestly, that free speech is bad and that, yes, we should be silencing mismal and disinformation, whatever that means. Who decides that? Right. The DHS literally came out this year with the idea of creating a public ministry of truth on behalf of the U.S. government. And then they, you know, they axed the idea, but they did come out and say one thing when they axed the idea of the U.S. Ministry of Truth. They said, well, the reason why we're not going to move forward with this uh, Ministry of Truth is because of reasons of duplicity, meaning that they already do this within the Department of Homeland Security. They already have institutions, network infrastructure that silence dissident voices that put out, quote unquote, mismal and disinformation pertaining to Russia or China or COVID or whatever. Uh, So this is already commonly held uh, principles and, and policy within the federal government between administrations, both Republican and Democrat. They don't care about the free speech, and they certainly don't care about upholding U.S. law fairly and firmly. Now, I just interviewed uh, Colonel uh, Richard Black, uh, former Virginia state senator and former chief legal counsel at the Pentagon, about the international situation, Jackson. You are way too young to remember the many crises that I have myself lived through, but I'm very firmly of the view that none of these previous crises were as great as the one that we now face. As I put it to him, in any decade 
of my lifetime, Americans supplied weapons landing on a Russian nuclear base 400 miles inside Russia, i.e. deeper inside Russia than Moscow is, would be the biggest story in the world. And we'd all be going to bed tonight scared that war would be on us in the morning. And yet this happened this week. And nobody except thee and me are talking about it. It's it's really crazy. It's really crazy. You know, the the as you put it in your conversation with the colonel, uh, these it wasn't just one side. I mean, they bombed the uh, they took the drone over the Angles Air Base, uh, and the Russians claimed to have shot it down, which was what caused the uh, explosion at the base. But it wasn't just that base. I mean, there was multiple uh, areas within deep Russia that were hit uh, by these drone attacks over the past few days. So yeah, I fully agree with you now. The thing I will say is, thank goodness, we have a leader that has at least exhibited as much stability and, um, you know, reason and logic as we've seen in recent years in the likes of Vladimir Putin. Because let me tell you, if Joe Biden were president of Russia, if, uh, you know, George Bush were president of Russia, if Barack Obama were president of Russia, I think we all know what the response would be if you had strategic bombing facilities, uh, the, you know, the top most preeminent uh, facilities for Russian airspace uh, artillery w- was being bombed by the number one foreign adversary of your country. It would not be good. It would be a very, very vicious, aggressive, uh, you know, military response. And Putin has not done that yet. Putin has not done anything that I've seen yet uh, that would warrant something that I'd say is out of line. Uh, he's been very steady in this entire operation. He has not let any of the attempted provocations get in the way of the goals of the Russian special military operation in Ukraine, despite the attacks on the Crimean Bridge, despite the explosions within the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, despite the terror attacks in Crimea, despite the terror attacks and attempted terror attacks in Zaporozhia, despite the terror attacks on the Turk Stream pipeline, despite everything that's happened, the, you know, the constant terror attacks on the people of Donetsk and Lugansk. And and just this week, may she rest in peace, there was a politician within uh, the Donetsk City Council who was assassinated by a Ukrainian attack. Uh, Despite all of this, Putin has kept a very steady line and he's kept his eyes focused on what his goals are in Ukraine, which he made very clear at the start of the war. So I think if it were not for Putin, we'd have a very different situation uh, in global events right now. And uh, yes, we are in a very, very dire situation no doubt jackson now that we can't for seven days at least uh see you on twitter how can people follow your work and support you uh you can follow along on my youtube show the dive with jackson hinkle that's where i do most of my broadcasting and videos and uh that's where i do i'm going to be live there later tonight so that's where you can find me fabulous jackson hinkle as always thank you so much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Should Joe Biden pardon Julian Assange? That's the poll on my uh, Twitter handle, on my YouTube channel, on my Telegram channel. Make sure you get your vote in quickly. But it's calls all the way now after this quick break. As the green smoke rose, their faces 
flashed out pallid green and faded again as it vanished. Then slowly the hissing passed into a humming, into a long, loud, droning noise. Suddenly a humped shape rose out of the pit and the ghost of a beam of light seemed to flicker out after it. Forthwith, flashes of actual flame, a bright glare leaping from one to another, sprang from the scattered group of men. It was as if some invisible jet impinged upon them and flashed into white flame. It was as if each man were suddenly and momentarily turned to fire. It's terrific, that War of the Worlds, uh, if I say so myself. I hope I've done it justice. I'm not Orson Welles, but I'm the next best thing, at least still alive today. Uh, if you want to listen to it, then you need to support me on Patreon. Uh, it's not even the price of a cup of tea in the most insalubrious cafe. So I hope that you will support me at least by that amount by signing up to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. I'm reading The War of the Worlds, but I have several other books up my sleeve that I'm going to read next. I'm also on February the 7th in Sunderland with the second Roadshow, the Moats Roadshow, mother of all talk shows on the road in Sunderland. There's the details there. Get your tickets now. They've slowed up a bit, actually, over the last uh, few days. Maybe the World Cup, maybe uh, the onrush of Christmas. But uh, they're about, I think, a fifth sold uh, so far. Uh, mind you, it's some weeks off. Tuesday, the 7th of February in Sunderland. If you're in the northeast of England or the southeast of Scotland, then that's the place to be on that uh, Tuesday night. It's not uh, a Valentine's night event, but it will be full of love and kindness. Should Joe Biden pardon Julian Assange? Vote now. Let's take uh, some super chats. I'm determined to get the Moats America uh, off and running in the new year on Friday evenings. It will not be presented by me, uh, but we'll do everything except the front of house. And the front of house will be the likes, I hope, of Jackson Hinkle and Garland Nixon and others of our friends, Farhan Fronchek, and our friends will rotate the front of housework. They'll pick the guests, they'll interview them, and so on. We'll do everything else. Moats America, coming soon. On the line is Nathan in Seattle about Germany. Nathan, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me, George. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, I'm actually surprised wow. by your being surprised by uh, the coup in Germany. I mean, you come from the UK, United Kingdom, the uh, land of the biggest thieves, most thuggish, violent criminals in the world. Um, but but it's, it's no surprise to me because uh, I'm, I'm accustomed to seeing uh, uh, entitled psychopaths stealing power from uh, common people. Uh, and it's just uh, a link to uh, the UK because, you know, a lot of the governments 
throughout Europe and throughout the world have been placed by uh, your uh, country. And uh, like you look at Ukraine, I always look at it like UK reign. It's just like open uh, bragging about like uh, control of uh, the country. They, they set the policies, they set the, the, uh, the tone for uh, that country as well as many countries, including my own. I just finished signing uh, uh, paperwork because both my parents were in the military people who, ha who have to uh, uh, take jobs to steal for other people. And they both were being poisoned by the military bases that they worked at. So it's just, uh, it's not, I'm never surprised by uh, the level of depravity uh, from Western countries. And uh, I also wanted to just uh, shout out my website. I'm the most censored man on the internet, lost four YouTube channels, just uh, trying to elucidate certain truths about my own government as well as your own. So, uh, I just want to share and uh, pay my respects to you uh, for, for elucidating the truth to a lot of uh, people who may not uh, be aware of the things that you talk about. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, I think uh, in all humility, you're overestimating us here in Britain. We're not uh, what we were. We are no longer the world's biggest thug, no longer the world's biggest thief. And we certainly no longer pick the governments of Europe. That is uh, a, a ridiculous overestimation of us. We have a government in Britain that cannot bite its own nails, that is so incompetent that we have had, I don't know how, I literally don't know how many prime ministers, chancellors of the Exchequer, home secretaries we have had in the last year. That's how incompetent we are. This is not a land of James Bonds. This is a land of Austin Powers. Mr. Beans, if you think that we are responsible for the picking of governments in Germany and in the United States, I'm afraid you are hopelessly misconceived. Nick is in Washington on Julian Assange. Nick is the chair of the People's Party, my own party in the United States. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for your show um, and for everything that you do and bringing attention. These great interviews I just watched with Colonel Richard Black and Jackson Hinkle. Um, you bring attention to so many stories that aren't covered by the mainstream media. Uh, necessary attention, um, like the threat of existential nuclear war, uh, which is something that we as the People's Party in the United States are protesting. What I wanted to bring attention to on your show was that this Saturday at the British consulate in New York City, a group of us are going to be rallying, protesting, and demanding that the United States and the United Kingdom free Assange. And we will be joined by Roger Waters, Stephen Donziger, Margaret Kunstler, Max Blumenthal, Seven Gagdalin, uh, Garland Nixon, Ben Cohen, Chuck Slatkin, and uh, also Randy Credico, who has organized the action. And this, of course, comes on the heels, as you know, of millions of people voting to free Assange in uh, Elon Musk's Twitter poll. And a week before that, five major newspapers, including The New York Times, finally a decade late, but nevertheless demanding that uh, Julian Assange be freed because his only crime was that of journalism. So we hope that people will join us uh, on Saturday at the British Consulate in New York City. If I was in the country, I'd definitely be there, Nick. I'm wishing you all the best. 
I hope you have the biggest possible turnout and that your voices are many and loud enough to rattle the windows of the, um, the British consul there. Uh, the role of Britain in the crucifixion of Julian Assange is a mark of shame on our country and successive governments. Uh, our willingness to be the lapdog of successive American administrations in this persecution of a world historic journalist is something that will never be forgotten or forgiven. I am still hopeful that we can avoid the judicial murder of Julian Assange, but time is short and opportunities to protest are limited. This Saturday in New York City, in front of the British Consul, is one of the most important of those opportunities. Thanks, Nick, in Washington. Rafi is in Montreal. Rafi, welcome to the show. Hi, George. I uh, hope you're doing fine. Um, it is my uh, actually my birthday today, and I considered a, a, a real gift Happy for birthday. me to be able... <laughs> Thank you very much, George. Thank you. I want to tell you, um, I want to tell you, first of all, George, that um, your show, I've been following you for many, many years in, in different, uh, in different, um, through YouTube or to, through the different um, uh, channels on, uh, on social media. And I want to thank you because you have really helped, helped me into understanding politics. And as a, as, as a 49 years young adult, I've always had a hard time understanding what to believe, how to compartmentalize uh, the information getting, and through your show and through your um, through your wave explanation, being very clear and candid, has really helped me and also helping get, getting into understanding and conversing with people. Thank you for that, uh, George. Uh, there's one thing that I like to ask. Also, you've done such an amazing time over years. For example, talk about the Palestinian cause, uh, what's happening in Ukraine all kinds of world, um, world situations. I would love it if one day at one time, if you could make um, maybe, a, uh, maybe um, a, an educational um, presentation about Armenia. I am a, I'm a Canadian citizen, of course, uh, by, by Arme I'm Armenian. Uh, my parents are from, uh, from Armenia, of course. And there's a, it's very, the Armenian story is very, very similar to let's say the Jewish story. And uh, a lot of people don't know about it. And, and until today we are being, uh, how can I say, attacked uh, by the Azerbaijanis. And media does not talk about this at all. On a daily basis, there's Armenian um, soldiers dying at the border. It could be one here, 20 there. And, and it, nothing's talked about. It's like nothing's happening. And uh, Armenia being part of the, uh, you know, part of uh, Russia, a uh, long time ago. It seems like Russia being busy today. Or, and can you maybe talk to us about Armenia a little bit more? And yeah, it's possible. I, I will. I will, Rafi. Uh, some of my very best friends are Armenian. Uh, some of them uh, oppressed Turkish Armenians. And of course, uh, it, is the, it is the massacre of Armenians. Uh, at the end of the First World War, uh, which gives you the right to make the point that you did uh, in comparing 
uh, the Armenians with the Jews both faced a genocide, uh, and that genocide is unequally recognized. And uh, I'm entirely in sympathy with the Armenian people. Uh, Russia has close relations, of course, with Armenia and has a CSTO treaty obligation to defend Armenia, uh, but it also has uh, close relations and needs to uh, with Azerbaijan. Iran has a big interest in this subject, as indeed does Turkey, as indeed does Israel. And so it's an exceedingly complicated international situation. But we'll try and find a guest who can dispassionately uh, educate the audience on the complexities of the Armenian situation. I wish you many happy returns, Rafi, and a good night out in Montreal, one of my favorite cities in the world. Brian is in Switzerland, and let's hear from him. Go ahead, Brian. Hello, good evening, George. Um, first time calling in. I apologize, a little bit perhaps intimidated, not used to uh, being on such a public forum. Uh, George, I'd Go like on, to- Go on, take your time. I'd like to ask you if you're familiar with something called the RAND report. The RAND report, the one on Russia? Yes, indeed. The one that was issued in 2019 uh, titled How to Destabilize Russia. Yeah, I've read, I've read every word of it, uh, Brian. Summarize it for the audience. It's, it's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. It's a list of perhaps 40 possible actions that could be taken by the United States to destabilize Russia. And the primary objective and the reason for taking these actions is in the introduction of the document, and that is that Russia is considered to still be a peer competitor of the United States in certain areas and that it's in the interests of the United States to diminish the influence of Russia through these 40 different types of actions. And I have it open just in front of me, and it's, it's just like a shopping list of all the things that we see today. But, you know, when I take a look at it, expand U.S. energy production, fine. Impose deep trade sanctions upon Russia. Um, encourage immigration from Russia of uh, skilled labor. But then it also goes into some interesting things. It talks about the possibility of fomenting um, destabilization within Belarus. Then there's an interesting uh, area that I find that talks about encouraging Russians to believe that their leadership is acting not in their best interest which I find really interesting. It's not to highlight where it's not acting in their best interests. It's to lead the Russians to believe that, which is pure outright uh, strategy of disinformation. Well, uh, I think you're right that the RAND, rep the Rand report was uh, exceedingly prescient. Uh, everything it called for has been done so clearly it was influential, but I feel uh, important, it's important to say that all of this will fall on stony ground. The Russian people are not fools. 
They know that Joe Biden does not have their best interests at heart. They know that the country they believe to be Mother Russia must remain large and strong and must be able to be sovereign and independent. And they would literally, as they have done before, lay down their lives uh, to ensure that. And uh, anyone who thinks that, uh, that the NATO and uh, imperialist uh, leaders are going to one day uh, do the dance that uh, Hitler did at the, at the Arc de Triomphe at the Eiffel Tower, uh, that they're going to be doing that in Red Square, Moscow, is deluding themselves. Russia is strong. It's not going to go away. It would be far better if we dealt with it rather than try to fight it, because in any fight, we would undoubtedly be the loser. Thank you, Brian. Lester is in Maryland, USA. Uh, let's hear what he wants to talk about. Lester, go ahead. Hey, George. Uh, thanks for having my call. Um, I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, touch a little bit more on the railroad uh, bill that uh, Congress passed to, you know, uh, pretty much uh, uh, squash down any notion of a strike from the railroad workers uh, and the fact of making them slaves since uh, if they quit, uh, that, that would be a form of strike as well. And, and a lot of people or a lot of the news is not really going over the legality of this bill. Does it mean that if they actually quit their jobs, are they, uh, can they be arrested? Because they're technically would be under the notion that they are striking and that is why they are quitting. And this is a, a very dangerous thing because on top of that, you know, they passed the second bill uh, to give them the sick days that didn't pass. So they basically, you know, Congress, the both Republicans and Democrats were telling the railroad workers that you're a slave and that you have no rights to any sick days and that you will work till you are dead. And the only thing that gave me hope is that statement that the railroad uh, railroad workers put out is that they understood the kind of this uh, insidious attack on them. They understood that was coming from both parties, that they are not blinded by it, and that they understand that they did not even get the sick day. So they, they are probably trying to figure out what to do next and what are the legal steps that they can do next. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people have families, they have uh, their, their well-being, and they're trying to figure out if, you know, if they quit, do they actually go to jail because they can be considered as a form of strike. And, you know, we don't know what's next. Maybe the electricians, maybe the construction workers, we have no idea what's next on, on their hit list uh, from Congress. So I Well, you have perfectly, uh, yeah, you have perfectly summarized the plight of the railway workers in the USA. And we have uh, a, a challenge to the railway workers here in Britain. I'm hoping to travel on the railway tomorrow, but if I... I'm unable to do so as a result of strike action. I will still support the just cause of the railway workers in Britain. And one of the most repugnant sights that it is possible to imagine is fat cat politicians and even better paid fat cat media commentators sneering and insulting, smearing and slandering the woman that sweeps the railway station in my area, the guard that keeps everybody safe on the trains in my area, the railway workers 
that keep the country moving, despite the privatized train companies' attempts to squeeze every last ounce of profit out of what was once a public service, the railway workers keep the show on the road. And they're being asked to accept a massive wage cut. Don't believe the propaganda that they're turning down a wage increase when inflation is at 12%, predicted by April to be 23%, an offer of 4% this year and 4% next year, if you accept massive job losses, the end of guards on trains and the closure of all ticket offices, if you accept those, you can have four and four, four this year, four next year. That adds up to a massive wage cut. And one of the most dismal of phenomena is other workers turning on the railway workers for having the level of organization and the backbone to stand up and fight for their rights. Victory to the railway workers in Britain and in the United States. A victory for them would be a victory for all working people everywhere. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.